Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51, uh, Jesus now turns his attention to this narrative of journeying to Jerusalem. Thus far, he's kind of been wandering around um, in different cities, but now he's starting to, to make his way to Jerusalem. Uh, and, and we see here um, kind of the description of this path. And, and Luke calls out for us a, a particular uh, route that he takes. This is a route that would um, would be avoided by most Jews of this time. Uh, and so Luke tells us Jesus is going on this journey. He's making his way uh, for a particular purpose. Again, if you read the previous section, he, he says in uh, verse 44 to the disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. So he's been clear what's happening, where he's going, what's going on, how this is all going to work out. And so now he's making his way there to uh, accomplish this journey. And so he is focused on heading there. He begins this journey um, with this same attitude. He plans for the journey. He's processing things for the journey. Right? It's like anytime you make a decision to go on a trip, anytime you, you uh, plan to accomplish something, you've got to kind of get focused. You've got to figure out what's happening. You've got to pre- prepare yourself in a way so that you might be successful. And Jesus has been demonstrating who he is thus far, uh, but now he has been, again, rubbing up against all these people who, as he gets more popular, are trying to tell him, like, oh, no, like, let's just, you can be the king right now, you can have what you want, and, and he's trying to stay focused on obeying the mission that has been given to him by the Father. And so he makes his way with this in mind. I've I've got to accomplish this thing which God is calling me to. I'm going here to accomplish this particular task. And Luke describes it in a a particular way here. He says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, right? So kind of the timeline is compressing. He's trying to say, all right, well, we're kind of getting towards uh, the end of Jesus's life. Some things are happening. The, The days are drawing near. The time is going by. Um, for, for him to be taken up, uh, he, he made these plans, he's made these preparations. Now, as you read that there, the days drawing near for him to be taken up, you know, what could that possibly mean? I mean it, could be an, it could mean a number of things. Uh, of course, it would uh, be speaking to the fact that um, Jesus had earlier spoken in, in uh, verse 31 about on the Mount of Transfiguration that he's going on this departure, this exodus as it's called out uh, in verse 31 there, that he's going to accomplish at Jerusalem. So something's happening there. He's leading this uh, liberation of people. He's filling this uh, role of this new prophet that uh, Moses calls out uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. And so he's, he's stepping into that. Uh, but he's drawing there, drawing near to Jerusalem to be taken up. Now, this... Uh, can mean several things. Uh, number one, uh, to be taken up in this sense, it could mean, and in a sense, it would not be untrue to say that it means uh, that he's going to move to this higher elevation that is Jerusalem. That's one thing that could be happening there. As he makes his way up, he's going to be taken up to that city as he moves up. Uh, but what it certainly means Uh, And what Luke is certainly getting at is that this is speaking to uh, him being raised up on the cross. 
This means, this is speaking to the fact that he would be raised up from the grave and that he would be raised up again in the ascension to the Father, that he would accomplish this task, right? Luke is kind of giving us this shorthand for this because in some sense, Jesus has been pretty plain about what's going to happen. He's told the disciples several times over, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be killed. I'm going to rise on the third day. Uh, he, he's, he shared it again and again. And so uh, he, he tells us now the time of Jesus accomplishing this work is drawing near. The ascension is drawing near. He knew this well, but he also knew that the cross stood between uh, that event of him uh, being raised up from the grave, ascending to the Father, And so he moves with purpose, he moves with intention toward Jerusalem. And he knew what awaited him there, right? This is how Luke describes it for us in verse 51. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is kind of um, an idiom of this time. It's It's a phrase that would have been used in the common culture among the people there that speaks to having determination. It would have been said to to set someone's uh, face, or as Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, it indicates that he's kind of determined to accomplish a task, to uh, focus his eyes or his heart or his purpose on this uh, great desire that he has, a great um, goal, perhaps. Uh, But this is also kind of uh, linking Jesus to a promised figure in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 50, verse 7, we've got this great promise here that speaks prophetically of of the promised Messiah, of God's uh, promised servant. Uh, When we read this, uh, Isaiah 50, verse 7, But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. So uh, it's speaking of this idea here that there's this determination that he is going to be uh, hardened in not a um, sense of being angry or frustrated or upset, but he's absolutely focused, that nothing will, will distract him, nothing will, will take his attention away from accomplishing his task. Right Now, I want you to understand this. I want you to hold a little bookmark in your mind about this, about being focused, about accomplishing your task, setting your eyes on a goal, setting your eyes on a prize, because, because in conjunction with our text this, this morning, as we, as we turn uh, to, the, to the next section, Jesus begins to call us to set our eyes on one goal, one prize. Just as Jesus is doing this, he's, he's kind of laying the groundwork for all who hear him, that we've got to do the same thing. But Jesus, he's got to go first. Jesus always goes first. He always steps out into the danger. He always steps out into the hardship and difficulty. And he is determined to accomplish this. Now, why does he need such determination and focus? Well, number one, because what he's doing is extremely hard. It's extremely difficult. And it would be easy uh, to want to give up. Right? He's, he shows up on the scene. He enters into this period where uh, Satan shows up and is trying to tempt him as he's in the wilderness and he's like giving them all these things. So he's receiving offers from the world. Uh, the, as he grows in popularity, he's got these crowds who are around him and they're trying to persuade him like, oh, Jesus, no, you don't have to die. Like, we'll go with you and we will fight. And so they're, telling, they're, they're trying to tell him, like the people who are close to him are trying to tell him like, no, you don't need to do that thing in Jerusalem. Like, like don't worry about that. We're going to just like, we're going to do it right now. 
So he's got people who like him telling him, don't do it. Uh, but then, as he thinks about these things, he could have just easily backed out and been like, yeah, you're right, guys. Like, let's just do this right now. Like, I will, I will be the king right now. But he doesn't. He stays focused. He's determined. And he would need this determination. He would need this focus in his heart because as he moved deeper and deeper into this mission, remember, he says that he's going to experience difficulty, hardship. He tells uh, the disciples that he's going to be delivered into the hands of men. He's, he tells them that he is going to uh, be someone who is uh, experiencing suffering. He's going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. He tells them that there are going to be many people who are going to taunt him and mock him. So he's got to de be determined to follow through on that which he is called to. He's got to be determined to obey. Now, on top of that, he needs to be determined because he was going to experience the fullness of stress in the human condition. Emotional, spiritual, physical stress on his body. There would be uh, physical pain, anguish at the cross. He had to be determined. He had to be focused that I am going to step into this with purpose, with intention. Now, beyond all that, to get to that journey, he's got all these people telling him, like, oh, it's not worth it, don't do it, like, you don't need to experience the hardship. He's got people mocking him. But in the middle of all of the physical suffering, all the pain, all the, the anguish that he was experiencing, all of that was for the people who were mocking him. So there's a tremendous uh, connection of him doing something for a people who are out, like, outrightly unworthy of his work. Like, they're not, uh, you know, you and I are not a people who are, like, really there just being like, oh, yeah, we did everything great, Jesus. No, like, we're the people who are mocking him, just like there are people who are gathering around the cross and mocking him, just like he was raised up on the cross with, with uh, two thieves, and they were mocking him. But yet he stayed there because he was determined to obey. He stayed there because he was determined to follow through. He stayed there because of his great love. He had to set his face. He had to be focused. Because it would have been easy to be like, yeah, you guys, you guys are right. You're mocking me. Like, okay, I won't die for your sins. Okay, you guys will receive punishment. Instead of me receiving your punishment, you're right. I'll just, I'll just call it quits, guys. He could have easily done that. But he stayed focused. He's determined. He set his face toward Jerusalem. And in doing so, he is ready to get there as quickly as possible. He's like, let's do this. And so he begins his journey in verse 52. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. So Jesus is cruising, moving south from Galilee through the region. Uh, and as he goes, he sends these messengers to prepare the village for his arrival wouldn't have been an uncommon thing for him to do. Uh, perhaps these are uh, the disciples to go ahead for him. They make their way out uh, to, to uh, prepare either lodging, to get food for Jesus and uh, the crew that's coming through. Uh, perhaps there was a proclamation that Jesus was coming and they were kind of doing some of the work of announcing his arrival to the town and saying, 
you know, this, this great promised prophet is coming. The Messiah of Israel is coming. He's coming to your town. You know, here's what he's saying. His kingdom is here. He's saying all these things. And so maybe uh, the, there's this component of this mass proclamation to the, uh, to the village as well. And so uh, these messengers go. We don't, we don't know exactly who the messengers were, but they were people who Jesus trusted. They were people who were a part of his crew, people that he endorsed going out uh, to accomplish this task. And they go into the village of the Samaritans. Now, the, the route that Jesus takes is interesting because the Samaritans, they lived in uh, this portion of northern Israel um, in a region between uh, southern Israel and, and, and Galilee. And, and so um, they were there inhabiting this land. But this group of people was essentially a mixed race of Israelite and non-Israelite um, uh, people. They were kind of mixed in that. And they were hated by those pure-blooded Israelites because they believed, the, the pure-blooded Israelites believed that the Samaritans had compromised uh, the faith. So the Samaritans were kind of practicing uh, the Jewish faith in, in, in a way, to a certain degree. But, but the Israelites, they were like, well, you know, these guys, they're just only doing it halfway. They're not really understanding it fully. Uh, the way that... Uh, the way that they believe, comes, comes out a little bit further in the next verse, in verse 53. But Jesus takes this time to go to a people. He plots this, this course to go through a land that, he wouldn't, um, that most Jews would avoid because they didn't want to be with the kind of the half-blooded Israelites. They didn't want to be with the Samaritans, the compromisers. And so making this journey from where they're at um, to, to Jerusalem. It would take him probably about like three days. But many Jews would, would lengthen their journey. They would go around Samaria so that way they didn't have to do that. And so like even though it was already a long journey, they were like, let's just make it longer because we don't even want to go through that, that dirty land with those people. But Jesus, he says, nope, we're going straight through it. We're going straight to these people. He's challenging the attitudes of the time. He's challenging the perspectives of all who would be like, wow, Jesus, like you're really going to go through them? Like we don't even like them. They don't like us. There's all these problems. But instead he plots, he plans to go through. He wants to give an opportunity for these people to receive him. He wants to give an opportunity for them to hear who he is. Right? In the previous passage, he just, he just gets done telling them about um, you know, not trying to, to control people who are ministering in his name. He says, like, let's just let's make it so that way if you are for me, like we just want to bring in everybody who's, who's for me. He, he, he's laying this down and now he's putting his money where his mouth is and saying, okay, well, like, let's go to them. Let's make our way through a place that everybody else would be uncomfortable going. We're going to go there. But the mission does not go as planned. It doesn't happen how Jesus thinks it's going to happen or how he plans for it to happen uh, here with the disciples. Verse 53. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. 
So the Samaritans, they don't want to receive Jesus. Instead of receiving him, they reject him. Jesus doesn't even get to make it there. The, the messengers go, they say, hey, we want, we're coming through. We got this big posse. Jesus, Israel's Messiah is coming here. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to stop through. You know, we need lodging. We need food. We're going to, we can spend some time here with you guys. And they just say like, no, we're good. Don't even come through. We don't want you in our area. Why? The people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So they directly opposed him going to Jerusalem. So what's going on there? So this is a part of uh, the Israelites, uh, the pure-blooded Israelites, and the Samaritans, the half-blooded, believing two different things. The Samaritans worshipped on Mount Gerizim. They, this was kind of their place of worship. They kind of built their own temple, their own uh, setup there. And they viewed Jerusalem as a completely illegitimate set of, uh, or center of worship. They prevented uh, Jews from trying to go there. They were like, no, you don't want to go there. Jerusalem is totally illegitimate. They rejected all authority from the temple at Jerusalem. They didn't believe uh, in basically like the, the, the mindset of the Samaritans was like they only uh, were, were receiving of uh, the Old Testament kind of canon of, of the Torah, like all the way through Deuteronomy. Like that's basically what you get. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's it. Anything after that, completely illegitimate to them. So they don't believe in like King David. They don't believe in like the promise, promises of God after that. Like nothing. They're just like, we are that first five books only. That's what we're sticking with. And so, as Jesus is going to Jerusalem and they're heralding uh, Israel's Messiah, and this guy's like coming in the, in the line of David, and, he, and they're just like, no, we're not about that. We don't even trust any of that. Just the fact that he was going to Jerusalem to accomplish this task, for them, that was enough to reject him. They didn't even want to hear what he had to say. Now, this is important for us to understand, because sometimes when we hear about Jesus uh, and we think about his mission, sometimes we just think like, well, you know, it was only the, the chief priests and the scribes who like rejected him, but everybody else was like, yeah, Jesus, you're awesome. But the reality is, is like everybody rejected him. It wasn't like just a few people. It was the Samaritans, because most of the time in the, in the Gospel of Luke, the Samaritans are painted in a pretty good light. <clears throat> this is one of the few places where the Samaritans are like, you know, they, they look bad. But what we see here is that the rejection of Jesus is complete. It's total. The Jews reject him. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, they reject him. The Samaritans reject him. They don't want any part of him. This isn't uh, unique to just the leaders of Israel. No, this is a deep problem. And sometimes, uh, sometimes we can be in this same mindset. Right? They reject Jesus because he's got a purpose, he's got a mission, and he's sticking to it. Sometimes we can take on that same mindset as we deal with Jesus ourselves. Or we're like, Jesus, you're pretty cool as long as you want to give up your mission because, like, I've got this other mission that I'm working on, and that's one, like, I'll take you on. 
that's when I'll receive you. But if you're trying to do these other things, our, our things that we're trying to do aren't lining up. The foundation of the Samaritans is being challenged. What did Jesus tell his disciples? If you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. If you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. So all the Samaritans have to do is lose their life. We're going to give these things up and go Jesus' way. We are going to trust in him. We're going to follow him. But if you try to protect yourself, if you try to, to insulate yourself from problems, insulate yourself from God intervening in your life and, and doing things that you don't want him doing, if you try to protect yourself, you're just going to lose. You're going to lose. Oftentimes, Jesus goes to places and he does things that we don't agree with, right? Let's just be real. That's the case. Like, we're never like, Jesus is never, is never doing something and we're like, oh, yep, that's the same idea I had all along. Most of the time we're like, this, this is not what I wanted to do, but I see in hindsight that it works, right? We're kind of like reluctant, reluctantly along the journey, like reluctantly seeing his wisdom, reluctantly accepting of his ways because like it did, it's not really what we wanted, but it, 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 do, it is turning out pretty good. This, a lot of times that's how we are. We're kind of dragging our feet into it like, ah, I really don't want to do this, but. He goes to places, he does things that we don't agree with, that we're not on board with. We tell him, like, I, I, Jesus, look, I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't do it that way, but if you want to do it that way, fine. But I, not a really great idea. Don't do this. Instead, he's asking us to go with him on the journey, to join him in the mission. We have the opportunity not to reject what he's doing, not to reject him, but to receive what he's doing. To take from him what he is allowing us to be a part of, to participate in. We don't need to reject, but we need to receive in the way that he's offering to us. Now, the disciples, they're growing, right? Because clearly they've understood enough to be like, okay, like, we've gotten, we've gotten uh, disciplined a couple times by Jesus, but, like, we're still in the hunt. We're still, we still think he's Israel's Messiah. We're gonna, still going to go out, and we're still going to be zealous for him. We're going to proclaim his name. And even though, even though we don't really like the Samaritans, even though, like, historically it's not gone, well, you know, Jesus, is, he's done some pretty cool things thus far. So they're kind of coming along. They're kind of starting to, to grow in faith a little bit. They're kind of like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. So they go out. They're like, yeah, we're, we're on a special mission from Jesus to tell this town like he's coming. And then they get there and the town's like, nah, we're good. Like we don't, don't even bring Jesus here. So then they go back and report to Jesus. Now they're growing, but it's clear they don't understand Jesus's mission. And they certainly don't understand his timing. Look at verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Right, so they're just like, they get back and they're like, look, Jesus, they said they don't want to see you. They said you're not welcome here. So uh, what do you want to do? Should we like pull together our posse, our capital G gang, 
and pull out the big guns and just get them? Should we get them? Right? They're upset about this. How dare you reject Jesus? It causes this extreme reaction from James and John. They are upset at the refusal of the Samaritans. Now, part of this I love. Part of this I love. Okay, because I want you to catch this. You should absolutely be offended when people reject Jesus. Because he's the king. He's the king. It's just so offensive when you love somebody and you think they're amazing and like just incredible and everyone's like, no, that, that's lame. That should be offensive. It should be like, what? What? You should be, you should feel frustrated about that. Right? It's like if, if you were coming over to like my house and you're like, I like to hang out at your house a whole bunch, but like I really don't, you know, I really am cool being there, but I really don't like your wife. I would be super not happy about that. Right? I would not be okay with that. Like, why are you all, like, uh, hating on somebody that, like, I really love? And I think is the greatest. Like, I would just be like, get out, get out. Like, you, I'd be so mad. So you should be offended when people are not recognizing that he's the king. You should feel that way. Now, what you shouldn't do is try to pull out the big guns because you're not the judge. You can be offended. You can be frustrated about that. But also... Leave it there. Leave it with the Lord. Because let me tell you this. As offended as you might be, he's way more offended. He's way more offended. So you're not going to out-offend him. He's way more upset about the fact that people are rejecting him than you are that people are rejecting him. And if you tried to step in and to punish people for that, it would, it would be insufficient for the amount of offense that they caused. It would be just be like a tiny slap on the wrist compared to what it should be. Right? For, for rejecting the king of the universe. So be offended, leave it to the Lord, and see uh, the response here that we have from Jesus. So they tell, they tell him, hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? They suggest this incredible cataclysmic event to take place, which is insane because, like, just before this, like, they couldn't cast out, like, uh, demons from, from this guy, and, like, they're, they're kind of, like, a little all over the place, but they're like, okay, like, we're with Jesus, like, some cool stuff happens, like, we are going to do it in his name. They're just kind of trying to figure it out, like, what, what could we do? Like, I know Jesus keeps reaching back into Israel's history, and, like, here's a thing from Israel's history, so, like, maybe let's try this, right? Maybe they're just, like, looking around, like, should, should we like should we flood the earth Jesus like they're just like looking at like what are the things that have happened in the past like what can I pull on what can I what can I use there because that seems to be what Jesus is doing maybe they're kind of scooping things in and so they make this suggestion let's wipe out the whole village now this is connected to this idea of judgment fire in the Old Testament is often uh, connected as a judgment of God if you look uh, here's here's two places for this um, in the book of Amos Chapter 1, uh, this is said over and over um, in some of these places, but in, in chapter 1, um, particularly, it's just repeated a ton. Uh, but you find this, uh, let's pick up in verse 12. Thus says the Lord, 
For three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with a sword, and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever, right? So he's like, you guys did all this bad stuff, you're like trying to kill these people, you're not being forgiving. So then verse 12, so I will send fire upon Taman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra, right? So you have this idea of like this fire of judgment coming, um, in the book of Hosea, verse 8, or excuse me, chapter 8, verse 14, you find this description. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her stronghold. So again, this fire of judgment being brought forth. But it seems like what was in the back of the minds of James and John here is this passage in Second Kings, uh, chapter 1, where uh, there's this um, prophet Elijah, and there's this king, um, Ahaziah, uh, and he, he keeps trying to, like, uh, send out these, this, these groups of soldiers to uh, basically capture Elijah. And Elijah's like, no, like, I'm staying up in this little stronghold. Uh, and, and what happens here, I mean, I'm just going to read it because this is an incredible passage and just sort of hilarious, um, but sort of sad. Second um, Kings chapter 1, verse 9. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting at the top of the hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. And again, the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. So like this happens two times and then they send another 50 out there. And this time the guy's like, like, look, please spare my life. Like, he's, he's like all cagey about it. He's like, I'm just doing what I'm told. I'm just following orders. Like, I'm not trying to like, right? And this time the Lord's like, just go with him. Like, it's going to be good. Now, this seems like what's in their minds. This seems like what's connected. They have this zeal, this excitement, of course, for Jesus's honor. They get it, but they don't quite understand fully. They don't understand the timing. They think it's, it's, it's time to judge. Just like that happened, oh, they didn't, they didn't want to believe that you were this prophet. Let's just call down fire. Let's just wipe these guys out. Let's take out the whole village. Right? And they're probably extremely excited about this because they're Samaritans. So they're like, let's just take them all out right now. We'll be done with this and no one will ever have to come to this city ever again. So they're probably not really holding back either. They're on board. But the disciples, simultaneous to this, they make their suggestion, but you see a little, a, little glimmer of, a little glimmer of faith. Because as they say this, they ask, Lord, do you want us to do this? Right? They're, they're, they're not just suggesting it. They're saying, you make the call, but here's how we're understanding it. Here's how we're interpreting it. But, but we're not going to do it without you. We're not going to try to step out of line without your endorsement. They're, they're trying to, in a sense, to say, 
you do your thing, Jesus. Tell us what to do. But we're ready to act. Here's how we're interpreting it. What should we do? They're, they're submitting to him. So there's kind of like this mixed thing that's happening where like they're a little overeager. They don't understand the situation. They certainly don't understand the timing. But they're also trying to, to grow. They're trying to grow. So what does Jesus do? Verse 55 Super simple description is this. But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. This whole thing resolves, again, in two short verses. He turned, rebuked them, and they moved on. They went to another village. Clearly, from the text, it seems that Jesus is walking up in front of them. He's kind of leading the way a little bit. And the disciples are in the back, and they're like, like, on this journey, chuckling amongst themselves, like, hey, Jesus, like, they're like, should we tell Jesus we should call down fire from heaven? Like, that seems like a good idea. Yeah, like, yeah let's, hey, Jesus, what do you think if we call down fire from heaven and we burn out the whole village? And he's like, are you guys for real right now? Right, it seems like he kind of just stops and he's like, okay, like, let's just have a talk here. Let's just kind of deal with this. They kind of get together. But I want you to see this, how, how amazing this is, okay? Because we pass right over it because we're English speakers, The Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other deeply, as we discussed. But Jesus, he refused to respond in that same way. He's like, I'm, just because these guys rejected me, we're not just going to call down fire from heaven and destroy them all. That's not, that's not the goal here. But instead, he gives instruction. He turns and rebukes his own disciples. He turns and rebukes them. Now, it goes a little bit deeper here, because this word that is used here, right, we're going to double-click on it for a second, this word rebuke, this is a word that is connected explicitly and is used frequently in the casting out of demonic forces, demonic activity. So when Jesus calls out unclean spirits, he says, he re- it will often say that he rebuked the spirit. It's connected to this idea of him saying, uh, you know, I- I'm, I'm, speaking back against that mission. I'm casting that out. It's a word of rebuke and pushing it back and saying, you do not have power. You do not have your way. I am the authority. And so in a sense here, it's as if Jesus is saying to his followers, now is not the time for punishment, guys. That attitude is destructive. That attitude of you wanting to call down fire from heaven on all these people, that is in line with the same type of activity that the demons have. It's not time to destroy these guys. They need another chance to hear the gospel. They need another chance. It's not time to end them for good. This request to judge immediately, harshly, is out of character with Jesus' current ministry. He's not here to uh, destroy these villages right away. I mean, as you go through the the Gospel of Luke, as we continue on, there's going to be plenty of opportunities uh, that you'll see come to the forefront of Jesus' warning that there is a judgment coming, that it is going to happen. But he says, this is not the time. We're not in judgment mode here. We're not time to punish at the moment. God is giving these people time to reflect on that decision. Do you really want to reject Jesus? Do you want that to be your final answer? While James and John want to bring down this crazy force, this crazy violence, 
from heaven to accomplish God's uh, plan, Jesus tells them that's not how it's going to go. He understands that God's plan, his mission, his purpose in setting his face towards Jerusalem is to bring about God's plan through weakness, through suffering, through rejection, through death, through resurrection. There's a different way that this is going to be accomplished. And so he tells them, he rebukes them and says, you guys aren't to be in the position of judging. You're not taking the position of God to step in here and bring the judgment. You're here to serve. And so they move on to another village. God gives time for these people to respond. And he continues the mission. He doesn't stop. He says, all right, that's where you guys want to leave it for now. Let's go. He's going to move on to the next village. This is what he said he would do all along. Bringing the gospel to the people. The gospel of Peter, or not, uh, the second Peter, the second epistle of Peter in uh, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 9, tells us that God's heart is one of patience. It is one of long-suffering. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, The Lord is slow to fulfill his promises, promise, as some count slowness. Or, excuse me, is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's desiring to be patient so that we, more people will meet Jesus. Remember what we talked about last week? God loves people. God sends Jesus to help people, right, to, to pay for the sins of people. He wants people to, to know him. So dead people do not equal people meeting Jesus. So this is operation keep people alive so they can meet Jesus. This is like as simple as it gets. Keep everybody alive so they can have an opportunity to meet Jesus. That's, that's basically what he's getting at here. And so he says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so they go on to another city. Jesus said that this would be his mission. Uh, all the way back in chapter 4, you recall, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So he's like, let's go. They don't want me. I'm going to a new spot. We're out on the move. And eventually, they will arrive at Jerusalem. And when they do, and when they do, they will be grateful that Jesus does not judge the Samaritans for rejecting, for rejecting uh, him in this moment. The Samaritans didn't want to be connected to Jesus because he was connected uh, to his, his purpose in Jerusalem. They rejected him because, like, we don't believe in Jerusalem. We don't trust Jerusalem. We don't trust the temple in Jerusalem. We don't trust anybody who wants to go to the temple in Jerusalem. But remember, Jesus is setting his face towards Jerusalem. So Jesus has a mission. They reject him. They refuse to be identified with him because of what he's doing in Jerusalem. Now, as Jesus gets to Jerusalem, you'll find as we fast forward the tape and we see what's happening, as he's there in Jerusalem doing what he's supposed to be accomplishing in Jerusalem, it's in that particular moment that his own disciples refuse to be identified with him. They're all scattered. They're all gone. They reject him in that moment. We're out of here. Jesus is, he's, 
he's captured, he's dying, they're all on the outskirts. So should Jesus call down fire from heaven on them? Just like they wanted to call down fire on, uh, on the Samaritans? Should he bring that fire down and destroy all of them? All of his own followers who have been with him the whole way? If he were operating in the same framework and the mindset of the disciples, then yeah. Of course he should have. Because they're refusing to be identified with him in that moment. But instead... Jesus says, I will identify with you. Even though I am the only sinless man in all of history, I will go up that hill. I will ascend. I will take, uh, take that, that journey up the hill to be raised up on the cross, to pay for your sin, to be identified with all of humanity. And I will let the fire of heaven come down on me in all of its judgment so that you might not ever receive that. He willingly walks with such generosity, such purpose, not to destroy his enemies, but to lay down his life for them, that they might know him. And on the other side of that, we get the answer and he's raised up again. He ascends to the Father. He sends out his disciples. And again, we get the opportunity to say, what then will you do with Jesus? As he comes to visit us, as he's proclaimed in the churches, as he's uh, proclaimed as his people go to cities, will you receive him? It's another opportunity, just as the, as the Samaritans get another opportunity, just as time goes by and, and the disciples start in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, right? It's a part of Jesus' great commission. And the uttermost parts of the earth, just as he explicitly tells them, don't forget Samaria, you got to go back there and tell them about what's happened. It's an opportunity for us to decide what we really think about Jesus. And so you have got to decide that you are going to rightly recognize him as the king. Don't be offended by him, but recognize that he is who he said he is. And when he determines to go to Jerusalem, you just say, all right, I'm hopping on board. I'm coming with you. Wherever you go, Jesus, I'm going to go because you're the king. This isn't about the disciples about Jesus and his kindness and generosity, his patience, his long-suffering, and his determination to go to Jerusalem, all the while knowing that his disciples who we were with, they were going to do the same thing that the Samaritans were doing, that we would do the same thing, that we would often refuse to be identified with him. But he calls us to walk with him, to identify with him, to lose our lives for his sake, that we might be found in him. That we might be uh, able to rest in who he is. That our identities would be upon a firm foundation that would be immovable in every way. What a wonderful and generous invitation. And it's my prayer that we would receive him collectively this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your faithfulness, for your work. We're grateful that you have loved us so thoroughly. We're grateful that we can know you. 
and that you have invited us into relationship with you. And so, Lord, give us humility. Call us to repentance. We don't want to be offended by you, but we want to be found in you. Thank you for paying for our sin at the cross. Thank you for inviting us into your family through your resurrection as you justify us before the Father. We follow you as our risen King as you've ascended and lead your church. And so Lord, call us to worship now. We love you. Amen.